0: Some words from Ezekiel chapter 17. Thus says the Lord, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. I will set it out. I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, In order that it may produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. Under it, every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. All the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree, I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will accomplish it. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. Lord God, you have drawn us together today to worship you. And we come to you just as we are. Some of us are feeling very good about life, and some of us aren't so sure. Some of us are very confident in our faith, and some of us are less certain. All of us come needing to be warmed by the sun of your love and refreshed by the cooling stream of your spirit. We admit that although we say our hearts and minds are open to you, actually they are cluttered up with thoughts and feelings that we brought with us. Please help us to put those aside for a while and to concentrate on listening for your voice. Help us not only to hear what you are saying, but to understand what it means for us. And help us not only to understand, but to do or to be whatever it is you call us to. As we think about some stories Jesus told today, as we think about how seeds and plants grow, may we too be nourished and guided so that we can grow in faith and in grace. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to read a psalm together, which is printed on the sheet, and we'll do it um, in two parts. And today we're going to have anybody who is under 50 reading the stuff in the dark print, anybody who is over 50. Reading the stuff in the ordinary print. There's all sorts of ways you can divide it up. So I thought I'd do it on age for a change. And as I'm under 50 at the moment, that's okay because it means I get to start off. So under 50s the dark print, over 50s, 50s and overs. Otherwise the 50s don't say anything. 50s and overs the light print. It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. To tell of your love early in the morning, and of your faithfulness in the nighttime, upon and the ten string instrument, upon the harp, and to the melody of the lyre. For you, Lord, have made me glad and by your acts, and I sing at the rest of your hands. And the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, and, and shall spread. Such as are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the course God. They shall bear, bear fruit in old age, it shall be fruitful, that they may show that the Lord is true. He is my God, and there is no
1: unrighteousness in him. Thank you. Hello. I'm reading Mark chapter 4 between verses 26 and 34, and it's the NIV that I'm reading from. The parable of the growing seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. And the parable of the mustard seed. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. But he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything.
0: Thank you, David. Once, a very long time ago, in a land far away, there lived a man. He grew up in a small town in the north of the land where his father taught him the family business and he shared a home with his mother, his brothers, and his sisters. When he grew up, he left home to follow his dream. He never went very far, perhaps 60 or 70 miles from where he grew up. He told stories about farmers and housewives, about buried treasure and wandering sheep to anybody who would come to listen to him. He chose for himself a group of apprentices, a dozen men and probably a few women, with whom he shared his innermost thoughts and to whom he entrusted his plans. After around three years, he was executed for blasphemy and inciting rebellion. The Gospel is a story of small things. A story set in small towns and villages in a tiny little country in a far flung corner of the Roman Empire. It is a story of a man from an unimportant family who was totally constrained by the limits of the age in which he lived. You don't even know what he looked like. He probably wasn't especially tall or handsome or anything else that would make people go, wow, he's great. He was just a man. For him to travel the 70 or so miles between Nazareth and Jerusalem was an incredibly significant undertaking. No trains, no cars, no planes, and most probably no donkeys, actually. But it seems that Jesus and his friends traveled that road many times, as well as staying in other places to the east and the west. During his lifetime, even assuming that the counts we see in the gospel narrative are absolutely spot on and not somebody's best estimate, he encountered only a few thousand people I wonder if you know how many undergraduates there are in Glasgow University. There are about 15,000, which is almost certainly more people than Jesus met in his entire life. The Jesus movement began very, very small. It was fragile and it was vulnerable. Entrusted to men and women who came to know Jesus as Lord. And yet, this tiny, fragile movement was jam packed with potential to transform the whole of human history if only it was nurtured, if only the conditions were right. I have a feeling that for many Christians today, especially in the West, we have lost sight of those origins those in the over-50s group from the psalm can probably look back and recall days when it seems like the churches were packed to the rafters with people dressed up in their best clothes, eager and committed to following Jesus. As if somehow a packed church of people nicely dressed, singing beautifully, was a measure of authenticity and blessing. Not sure it necessarily was. And even in our own time, we are all guilty of those sidelong glances at churches and movements that seem to be bigger and more obviously successful than we are how often the number of new converts coming in the front door of a church is celebrated as a sign of vitality, of spiritual life, of of being right. Whilst the number of people leaving out the back door is carefully overlooked, the people who are hurt or stifled but somehow hang on in there are ignored. You see, I think it's quite easy for us to start feeling guilty because we're not the biggest church in town. We're not the most flamboyant church with the greatest whiz-bang technology and a worship group and a screen around the drummers and all the other weird and wonderful things some of the churches have. That we're not the latest thing. Somehow we can think that small is less good which seems to conflict with what the Bible has to say. When Jesus told stories, they were very often about very small things. Now, some of them were very valuable small things, such as the pearl of great price. Some were largely symbolic things, such as the story of the widow who lost a coin, And went searching for it. And others, like stories about seeds and yeast, are just ordinary and everyday. In fact, you know, when I went and looked through the stories that Jesus told, the only big things he ever seemed to talk about were banquets. Big parties to which he said, come in lame people, come in blind people, come in sinners, come in tax collectors. Come and share my banquet. So it seems to me that on the whole, Jesus valued the small things, the tiny things, the everyday insignificant things that are so easily overlooked or neglected. And he said it's these things, things like seeds. Things like a bit of yeast. These are the things that are like the kingdom of God. When I was growing up, nobody ever questioned the language of kingdom. We thought that kingdom was a good thing. I guess we were still um, in in an age when people had generally quite a good view of the monarchy in this country. Or at least the south part of it. Nowadays, there's a lot more cynicism about the monarchy and about the idea of kings and queens in general. And some biblical scholars and commentators get a little bit defensive and try to find a different language to talk about the things of God. And that's actually very difficult. Some of them talk about the commonwealth of God. And Commonwealth is a word that is loaded with all sorts of things for different people. Um, Some people think of the British Commonwealth and they think that's good. Some people remember Cromwell's Commonwealth and think that's bad. So it's not necessarily a great word. Some talk about the common will of God or the common good of God, depending which side of Hadrian's Wall you hail from as something about a sharedness, about a valuing of all people. And then I found one this week. Um, people talk about the kindom of God. Kin as in family. Kinship within God's family. Now, I kind of get what all these people are trying to do. But I actually think, if we're not careful, we miss the point. Because what Jesus is actually saying is that the kingdom of God is nothing like the British monarchy or the English monarchy or the Scottish monarchy or the Spanish monarchy or any other monarchy that you might want to have. It's precisely not about ceremony and pomp and wealth and power and big grandiose things. Absolutely not. Because it isn't outward and dark flamboyant. It's tiny and seemingly insignificant, like an apple pip or an acorn or a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is tiny, but it is packed full of potential to burst forth and grow into something beautiful and something practical. What happened 2,000 years ago in the events recorded in the Gospels was a planting of a seed packed with potential which, given the right conditions, would grow silently and secretly, largely unobserved, into a strong, healthy plant offering shelter for all. The Ezekiel, which we began, it's kind of a prophecy along the same lines of what Jesus began. I think sometimes we need to be reminded that Jesus started small. He started on his own doorstep. If you remember, the first recorded preach after his baptism was in his own hometown. It wasn't the greatest success, humanly speaking, but that's where he started. And he didn't waste his energy comparing himself to other people. I think we also have to be reminded, or I do, because I'm a bit of a workaholic, that Jesus didn't do absolutely everything that possibly could have been done. He was selective and intentional in what he chose to do. What we have recorded is what he did do, not what he didn't do. And sometimes it's helpful to be reminded of that. But maybe we need to go a bit more with that seed growing analogy to find insights that are helpful for us. I'm not a gardener, but I have grown seeds in my time. And whether we're planting in a field or a garden or a plant pot, one thing you have to do is get the earth ready. You have to plough a field, you have to dig over your garden, you probably have to work in some compost or whatever or pour it into a pot and moisten it. And then you have to choose the seeds or bulbs you're going to plant. Have you ever stopped to think that that's actually quite intentional? You don't just grab any old packet of seeds and plant them and see what comes up. If you want to grow carrots, you plant carrot seeds. If you want daffodils, you plant daffodil bulbs. Sounds obvious when you say it, but there is something intentional about planting. And we read the instructions on the packet, or I do anyway. So here's something I wonder. How intentional are we in how we expend our energy and our effort in being and sharing good news? Do we just blow with the wind? reacting to feelings, reacting to loud voices? Or do we stop and think and pray and listen to find what it is that we're led to do or to be? You see, I don't think our job is just to be like dandelion seeds blown on the wind, though there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, I think we are called to be rooted at least for a season, in a place, and to grow and in the w- rich earth of God's wor- world, and to bring to fruit what God wants to bring here. As I said, I'm not really a gardener, but I can remember years ago when I was a brownie doing my gardener badge, and I had to plant some carrot seeds. And My dad helped me, and we dug out the row, and we put them in, covered it up, and waited and waited. And some of the seeds popped up, and some of them didn't. There were patches in the row where the seeds didn't germinate. And elsewhere, there were loads, and we actually had to pull some out, because they would choke each other if we didn't take them out. And at one level, that seems really wasteful, doesn't it? You plant things, and then you thin it out but actually the thinning's can be used i mean i know some people feed them to their pets some people use them for co- for compost they're not wasted they just have a different purpose now i don't want to push the analogy too far but i wonder if sometimes we have to plant a number of seed projects and see what germinates and i wonder if sometimes actually we have to do that thinning out exercise. That as individuals or as a community, we are doing so many things that nothing can grow properly and become what it's meant to be. Actually, we have to let a few of them go, thin them out, so that the others can flourish and become what they have the potential to be. And then lastly, there is something about recognising the intrinsic worth of what we do as God might see it. We can't do everything, but we must do something. Some of the things we do might be very, very tiny and very, very hidden. Maybe nobody will ever know about them. Some things we do Might be very obvious and people will notice them. But it's not that one is better than the other. They're just different. Sometimes we ask the wrong questions. Are sunflowers better than geraniums? Are marrows better than broad beans? What stupid questions to ask. They're just different. Not better or worse, they're different. I have a feeling that sometimes the comparisons we make when we talk about the blossomings of God's kingdom are about as meaningful or as meaningless as that. The small thing done well for God has intrinsic worth just as much in God's sight as the big thing done well. Comparing ourselves to BMS or Tear Fund or Queen's Park Baptist Church or any other church, that's not what it's about. We are God's plant here to be who we are. We don't need to be doing big things and showy things. We don't need to be copying what anybody else is doing. We certainly don't need to get hung up about how many conversions or baptisms or young people or other human or church-defined criteria of success we match up on. What we have to do is to bloom where we are planted. To sow the seed of the good news in word and in deed in the fertile soil of the place where we are. To be intelligent and diligent in our husbandry of that ground. To make the tough but necessary decisions about thinning or pruning. And then to delight with God in the flourishing of the unique plant or garden that grows here. In which shelter and refuge may be found by all living creatures, as the Bible puts it, within the shalom. Shalom. Of God's grace. Amen. We're going to come now with our prayers for other people. So let us pray together. Loving God, as we come to you now with our prayers for others, we do so tentatively because we are in need of your help. On the one hand, there's nothing we can tell you that you don't already know. But on the other hand, we dare to believe that by naming people and situations before you, it will somehow make a difference. There are so many enormous and complex topics to which we could turn our thoughts that we risk being overwhelmed and only able to speak in banal generalities. And at the same time, we're reluctant to focus our prayers too narrowly for fear of telling you what we think you should do rather than listening to hear your will. So difficult, God, to find the right balance between a shopping list of demands and something so vague it doesn't mean anything to us whatsoever. And so we allow the analogy of the little seed, potent with possibility, to inform our praying. Using silence and space to bring to you people or situations that need your healing touch or your forgiveness or your transformation. Recognizing as we do so that we have to play our part in tending these seed prayers if they are to blossom in fulfillment. so in stillness and silence we each bring to God one item of news that has disturbed us in the last seven days one person one group of people one situation or one nation by whose story we have been moved emotionally and we ask God to show us how we can plant seeds of hope And healing there. In the stillness and the silence, we bring to God one aspect of our own daily life that weighs heavily on our minds or our hearts. One situation or one place one person or one group of people whose story impacts on our own living or well-being. And we ask God to show us how we can not only plant but also nurture seeds of hope and healing there. In the stillness and silence, we bring to God some of the things so utterly private that we have shared it with no one. Perhaps an attitude, or an action that dismays us. Perhaps a nagging question to which we need an answer. Perhaps a sense of a need to respond to God's call on our own life in a new way. Perhaps none of these. And we ask God to bring us healthy growth, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually, so that we may each become ever more whole. Loving God, you have made each one of us crammed full of potential if only we are willing for it to be realized and released. You have given to humanity all that is needful for the fulfillment of your kingdom as inaugurated by Jesus. Draw us to the light of your Son and blow afresh on us the gentle breeze of your Spirit that the seeds planted in us and the seeds we plant in prayer may grow to maturity. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> and we bless each other in the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, evermore. Amen.